You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What's good, everybody? Buongiorno, buenos dias, buenas tardes, buenas noches, ni hao, and konnichiwa, motherfuckers. You are listening to Avocado Cafe. I want to say thank you for tuning in this week. I want to say big thank you, much love and appreciation to Mr. James L. for becoming our newest Patreon member. Your welcome package, sir, is on the way. I've begun loading the first of much-to-come Avocabo-related bonus content to the Patreon. The next piece of bonus content on its way, I will be live-streaming my first time ever watching Shin Kimagure Orange Road, Summer's Beginning. I have never, ever, ever seen Shin Core before. I've never read Shin Core before. That might strike you as weird. I'm doing an Orange Road podcast. It strikes me as weird. I've just never seen it. I'll be honest. It didn't look very good, and I thought, oh, my God. It's just another unnecessary sequel. You know, first Godfather 3, and now Shin Kor. What are you guys doing? And that was back in the 90s. That was before shit got really out of control. I mean, you want to talk about unnecessary sequels. This decade has been the worst offender of all right? We hadn't seen nothing. We thought Godfather 3 was bad. We thought Shinkor was bad. We hadn't seen anything yet, right? They're making a fourth Matrix movie. I don't know what they're going to do about that. Anyway, thank you, James. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning into Avocado Cafe podcast. I am your host, Jason Almy. I don't know if I said that a minute ago. thought I've been talking for a minute and I haven't said my name yet, which is kind of weird for an egotist like me narcissists such as myself i want to welcome you guys to the episode we are going to be covering today kimagure orange road tv episode 16 well do you believe it or not madoka saw a ufo this episode originally aired on july 20th of 1987 it was directed by morikawa shigeru who you might remember from directing episode 7 the spark colored kiss episode as well as episode 11 don't ring the wedding bell 
So Morikawa's got a few episodes underneath his belt, and he's back for more. Surprisingly, everybody get ready, hold on to something, maybe have a seat. Before I say this, it was written by Ohashi Yukiyoshi. This is the second consecutive episode not written by Terada Kenji. I don't know if maybe he got picked up and he was like in jail for the weekend or what, and they were just trying to bail him out, and they had to get somebody else to come in here and write the episode. But Ohashi Yukiyoshi wrote this episode. Uh, Ohashi also wrote episode 13, which is Shikaru's Super Transformation episode. We open this particular episode with kind of an interesting opening. It looks like a B-movie from the 1960s. The visuals are set in these sepia tones. It looks like old photography. Um, The filter, there's a filter there, and it's intended to make this sequence seem old, like like film stock from, from way back when. There's a flicker that's happening there that's very much meant to imitate film Actual 35 millimeter film, not a Blu-ray, not a not a streaming on Retro Crush uh, video, but but actual film going through an actual projector. This is a stylistic decision here as we lead into the episode. We're also met with images of space, of the cosmos. We see a flying saucer traversing uh, the solar system before seeming to enter the atmosphere of a planet. And via a cross dissolve, the atmosphere of the planet becomes the night sky over Koska and Ayukawa's town. This implies a connection between some alien visitor and the night sky of our protagonists. It's as if to say that the visitors are out there and our protagonists are currently unaware. This intro monologue, too, is delivered in kind of like this flowery English, but it, it reads like something written by a teenager insofar as it really doesn't make any sense. It's not a very sensible intro, and I'm not sure that it has anything to do with the rest of the episode. Now, this episode is set on the last couple of days of school before Natsuyasumi or, or summer vacation begins. And this is important because if you are going to be watching the OVAs interwoven with the rest of the TV series, as I typically do and as I tend to recommend, then it's important to know because uh, there are uh, some OVAs that take place during the summer vacation. And um, if you're going to watch them with the TV series, this is the one and only Natsuyasumi, which occurs during the the run of the television series. So if you're going to watch these OVAs, there are several that, that seemingly occur during summer vacation, or at least during the summer months. So this is a sensible place to squeeze one or two of those in while the gang is enjoying Natsuyasumi over the next several episodes. Now, it turns out that Ayukawa was projecting the film that we saw in our intro, as Kasuga reveals when he mentions having fixed it for her. UFOs are therefore already on Ayukawa's brain, making her more likely to consider UFOs, uh, space aliens, as an explanation for what she sees in our opening scene. Our inciting incident occurs here. The UFO that Ayukawa and Kasuga see is depicted as this amorphous ball of tremendously bright light. It seems to light up the entire street they're standing on. And this is a very similar sequence to what we see in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, directed by Steven Spielberg. Very, very similar to the UFO as it was first seen by Roy Neary, who was played by Richard Dreyfuss in that film. This is possibly even a reference to that film. Of course, that film came out about a decade earlier than this episode aired. So it's about a 10-year-old movie. It would have 
had plenty of time to circulate uh, throughout an international audience. Again, it's an American film, but just as with The uh, Graduate, we see these references to a film that's actually 20 years old by the time the episode referring to it came out. Same thing here. Uh, We get a reference to an older piece of American cinema that uh, quite possibly had a pretty good international following and was very likely a reference point for this episode because the filmmakers who uh, wrote and directed and storyboarded this episode were probably familiar with that piece of cinema. Now, the music played here is also reminiscent of the tones that the UFO plays at the end of Close Encounters. If you guys have seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you'll know that that near the end, when they make contact with the UFO, the U.S. government's playing some some kind of tones, it's kind of musical, and then the UFO is playing them back, and they're going back and forth, seemingly communicating in this this um, with these different these various sounds, and and the, some of the sounds coming from uh, from the UFO or some of the, the some of the background sounds during this portion of the episode do sound a lot like what we hear in Close Encounters of a Third Kind, just as with Roy's first encounter with the UFO in Close Encounters. We as an audience don't get to see a lot of detail of the ship. There's no reveal here. It's just teaser as Ayukawa and Koska stare up at this super bright light. We only see it as a super bright light. Presumably, Ayukawa and Koska see more detail to this ship. And just as Roy was in Close Encounters, Ayukawa and Koska here are completely stunned. They're totally dumbfounded. Complete awe. They can barely move. Koska just barely manages to get a photograph off. The encounter ends with Kasuga confirming that Ayukawa also witnessed the UFO. This is a very important detail because despite this show being about a teenager and his family having ESP, the conflict of this episode is not science fiction. The conflict in this episode is rooted in interpersonal conflict between Ayukawa and Kasuga agreeing on what they saw when that sighting becomes public knowledge throughout their school. Now, Koska arrives home initially excited, but that excitement is near immediately dashed. His sisters are watching something that looks incredibly like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, they, they have a spaceship that's multicolored, and uh, there's all this detail, science fiction detail on the spaceship, lights and everything like that. It looks just like the ship does at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I think watching Close Encounters might be required viewing for understanding a little bit more of of some of the references that happen in this episode. Of course, if you've never seen Close Encounters, but you have seen episode 16 of Orange Road TV series, you probably enjoyed it just fine. You don't need to see Close Encounters, but I think it would enrich the experience, so I would consider that to be um, mandatory viewing to go along with this episode to uh, broaden and enrich your enjoyment and appreciation of these references. Now, he learns that Kurumi used the power to pilot a makeshift facsimile of a UFO using lights and uh, a chandelier and a few other things. She kind of cobbled this thing together that when flying through the sky, um, no one would expect to see the chandelier and the lights, the neon lights, the LED lights flying through the sky. So people automatically assume UFO, space aliens. Takashi appears here, beg his kids to... STFU so he can get some rest. He's got a, an early morning of work tomorrow. He's got his blanket wrapped over his head and he's got, 
I don't know if they actually made these. He's got a back scratcher that's like light up. It's like um, a lightsaber. It's an obvious reference to Star Wars because he's kind of got the blanket wrapped over his head like the Jedi wear their, their hoods. I don't know why you need a light up back scratcher just in case I have to scratch my back in the dark, except I don't have eyes back there. So I might as well always be scratching my back in the dark. I don't need my back scratcher to light up and illuminate the back part of my body where my eyes are not. Anyway, that was obviously um, somewhat contrived in order to make the Star Wars reference, but obviously sci-fi is on the brain. Now, the next day at school, Kosga then makes the questionable decision to try to keep the UFO thing a secret between Ayukawa and him. He decides that even with a cover story, he doesn't want people associating him with the UFO, I guess, um, for fear that like people are going to pry maybe too much, and then they'll uncover that the UFO thing was a hoax, and then they'll wonder about the mechanics of how that hoax was uh, perpetrated. So then they'll figure out that it was uh, his sisters, and then they'll figure out that his sisters have telekinetic powers. Again, I'm not really buying as a viewer that him admitting that he saw a UFO with Ayukawa would necessarily lead everyone to discovering uh, their psychic powers. I mean, he'd always say, I saw something weird. Ayukawa saw something weird. We agree. We saw something weird. I don't know if it was space aliens, but we saw something funny. I don't see how that then leads to everyone finding out about the power, especially when just a couple of weeks ago, you guys will remember, Kurumi lifted up a female wrestler that clearly outweighed her by at least 50 pounds, turned her upside down, and then banged her on her head using the power in front of an entire uh, female wrestling gym. Again, it's kind of contrived to make the situation work, but again, Kosaka has made the decision. He has assessed his risk. He has made the decision that he does not want other people to know that he saw a UFO in case they learn that Kurumi was the one using ESP powers to pilot said UFO. Again, bit of a stretch, but hey, it's what we got for this episode. Of course, Ayukawa consents to keeping it a secret. She's not really um, one for attention anyway. She doesn't need to get everyone at school's attention because she saw a UFO. She's fine keeping it between her and Kasuga. And Kasuga asked her nicely enough. And uh, being that she likes Kasuga, she's willing to go along with Kasuga's request. But Shikaru ruins it. She gets a glimpse of the photograph and boom, she's all over school. The conflict of this episode is not about space aliens. It's about honesty. It's about Kasuga having Ayuko's back versus gaslighting her. In the first scene, confirming that he saw what she saw, but then later on, denying and saying, no, I didn't really see that. Now, it's likely that others had seen the UFO. Komatsu and Hatta had heard someone, had seen one even before Shikaru tearing around the corner to tell everybody about the UFO. But even before that, Komatsu and Hatta had heard that someone had seen one. So likely other people in town had spotted Kurumi's makeshift UFO. So again, there's plenty more people that might corroborate Ayukawa's, uh, what Ayukawa witnessed. Kasuga might as well go along. But I'm a little surprised that uh, Kasuga and Ayuko weren't able to swear Shikaru to secrecy. These are two people that she trusts and admires the most. I'm surprised that they couldn't tell her to keep a lid on it, but they didn't. So she tells everybody. There's this clever moment where Komatsu is 
pointing the camera at Kurumi, like just before Shikaru comes tearing around the corner. And um, another girl walks by and he kind of turns the camera and he trains the lens on the other girl that walks by before he like follows her off screen. And I think it's just this hilarious moment that this girl like catches his eye and he just kind of turns with her and then just slinks off screen and they, they don't make a big deal out of it. You even hear this, this off screen like slap cause he's getting slapped. And then he comes back on screen and he's got this big handprint on his cheek. Clearly he was smacked for like trying to get a pic of this girl probably being a total creep, but it was really funny how you get the, you get the sense that these guys are like indiscriminate, like They'll just go after whatever indiscriminate horn dogs is what these guys are. And, and he just, the way he just follows this girl so casually uh, to, to undoubtedly take creepy pictures of her. But I thought it was a, uh, was pretty funny in the next sequence. We get to see these anonymous students who are not characters of orange road in any way. They're just kind of these background students. We get to see them spreading the rumor and it lends a sense of scale to the school community, which, which I actually really appreciate. And it also allows this telephone game to develop. You know, we go from Ayukawa and Kasuga saw a UFO to Ayukawa is dating an actual alien from outer space. Did you hear? An alien got Ayukawa pregnant. This shit is wild. Kasuga's denial of the UFO story does a little damage to Ayukawa's reputation there at school. She's already on this shaky territory as a delinquent, frequently skipping class, that type of thing. But Ayukawa being of tremendous personal character, of course, sticks to her story when pressed by Komatsu and Hata acting on behalf of the, the school journalism club. And Kasuga immediately knows he messed up. He immediately knows that contradicting Ayukawa was not the right thing to do, particularly after uh, having earlier confirmed that they saw the same damn thing. He even tries to have a conversation with her while doing laps in the pool for physical education, which is kind of strange is a tough place to have a conversation while doing like the freestyle. But anyway, that gives us this episode's Ushkon Umaugag. We see them scuba diving at the bottom of the, the pool there at the school. This is an insane appearance by them. It's totally non sequitur. This is kind of what the Umau and Ushkogag evolves into. This is like peak Umau and Ushkogag. They 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 begin very much so in this episode, but there are a few that led up to this. Like number ten, uh, episode ten's very meta appearance of Ushko and Umau kind of led to this. But they begin popping up in these terribly unbelievable ways, like. Who's to believe that they're in these like old, they, they look like 19th century scuba gear and they're at the bottom of a school pool. These people are, they graduated high school 10 years ago. What are they doing there? But they pop up in these completely unbelievable ways. They don't even interact with the characters. Kasuga goes swimming by and Ayukawa goes swimming by above them. They don't look up and the characters don't look down. This gag is solely for the audience now. Now, Kasuga's lie has effects on Shikaru too. She trusts both Ayukawa and Kasuga to the utmost. For them to contradict one another means that one of them has to be wrong. This dissonance is too much for Shikaru. This puts her on her path for the rest of the episode. She wants to prove that the UFOs are real so that she can corroborate the story, Ayukawa's story, and maybe even prove to Kasuga that maybe he was wrong she wants to get this definitive answer. It sets her on this obsession for the rest of the episode. Uh, Kasuga Kyosuke and, and Kasuga Takashi 
his father have a discussion about Casca's predicament while wrestling of all things. And it seems insane that they would have this this kind of uh, man-to-man, heart-to-heart, where Kasuga is feeling super conflicted and guilty about the lie that he told, and Takashi wants him to continue that, to preserve that lie, so that the family can stay safe, they can keep their secret guarded, but they're like wrestling while doing it, like instead of sitting down over a cup of tea or something like that, like you'd sit down and talk to one of your parents about something. They're, They're wrestling, they're like throwing each other around, putting each other in leg locks, full on wrestling. So the, the filmmaker's obsession with wrestling has not ended. It is still going. And it really seems like uh Kasuga Takashi seems to have picked up some moves from that female wrestling gym. Cause he's doing way better in this episode than he was in that previous one. Takashi supports Kasuga's lie. He wants Kasuga to continue the lie because they need to keep up the facade that they are not espers. Uh, Kasuga wants to tell the truth. He feels bad about the lie and he wants to set the record straight and redeem himself. This is a figurative struggle between themes of young and old, the uh, old ways versus the new ways, following rules versus following what your gut tells you is right. And it's made literal by an actual wrestling match between the two. They're actually duking it out. They're physically fighting this figurative battle. Now, Kasuga does win by using the power, which is, as uh, Kasuga Takashi reminds him, against the rules in the house. So it's a triumph for uh, the young, for, for rule-breaking over, over the old ways. And, and so that's what sets Kasuga on his path now. Meanwhile, Ayukawa is shown hanging out at a disco where a remixed instrumental of Breaking Heart plays in the background. Every disco scene in this damn show makes me want to hit the club. I want to hit the club every time they go to the damn disco. I'm too old for that shit, but I want to do it anyway. This scene exists to show Ayukawa turned down the offer to smoke, essentially rejecting this um, previous life she led before meeting Costco. The disco scene, the smoking, the delinquency. I mean, she's still willing to hang out at the disco, and and of course she's still willing to uh, have a drink or two. This is Ayuka what we're talking about. She loves her booze, but uh, she's at least turning down the smokes, and and that shows us a little bit of progression on her part. She's not forgetting about Costco. He's still on her mind. Now, uh, we cut back to Kasuga at home in his room. He's holding the red straw hat, and he's remembering that he had initially thought it was a UFO just before he caught it. Now, in the next scene, as Kasuga begins his hunt for Ayukua, and then is forced to chase her down, while she's riding a motorcycle, we get this splendid piece of background music. This is from Sound Color 3. This is Love is in Your Eyes. Google that if you want to find this on YouTube. This one's good because we have a build up here. Shout out CT. This was his pick for his chat episode. Check out the Patreon. 
Patreon.com slash Team Almy if you want to uh, listen to my conversation with CT all about our history with Orange Road. This was the song he picked for the outro, and it is a great song. Now, Koska in this scene is borrowing Master's bike again. He's going to trash it again. I don't even know. My Master just gets stepped on by these kids all the time. Poor Master. Now, just as in episode 12, Koska uses the power to blast across town to try to catch up with Ayuka. Well, he decides he doesn't care about concealing the secret of his power. He rejects this duplicity that he considers a requisite of adult life. Again, that conflict, the figurative and literal conflict that occurred earlier between him and his father, he considers this lie, this, this facade, this duplicity as part of the adult world. This is something that his father's trying to put on him. It's not something that he wants for himself. He doesn't want to lie. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to contradict Ayukawa. He doesn't want to deny the thing that they experienced together, the very real thing that they experienced together. So he's showing this remorse for not supporting Ayukawa. And Ayukawa seems to be leaving town on a motorcycle or something. They're going to uh, some like tourist town going out of town it's it's not so yasumi so they get to do whatever they want they don't work got to worry about school for a little while um it's not really clear where she's going all we know is that kasuka's got to catch her he's got to get her before it's too late before they get make it out of town of course of course it begins to rain on kasuka as it does when he's acutely feeling ayuko's absence like in episode 12 the uh, sequence where they play janina and he's realizing that ayuko is moving away and it's just raining on him again every time Ayuka was leaving, threatening to leave. She's going out of town or she's not around Kasuka. He's feeling her loss. Boom, it rains on him. Always. Uh, Kasuka ditches Master's bike to pursue Ayukawa on foot across like this gorge with a river. He endures a lot of physical abuse in this sequence. This is kind of like his penance for not backing Ayukawa earlier, right? He's He's got to pay this very physical penance for his misdeeds and then there's this moment where he's falling and the umbrella that he's got like pops open and then he, he sort of floats down and it, it's like a mary poppins thing i don't know if it's an overt reference to mary poppins but it's very like mary poppins ish as he kind of floats holding the balloon uh, the umbrella now seeing him in such rough shape ayukawa immediately softens she relents and she's kind to kasuga this is after she responded so well in the previous episode to him almost getting his ass kicked by the karate sensei. I'm starting to think Ayukawa has a thing for Kasuga getting abused because she almost kissed him in the last episode while the guy was KTFO'd. He was completely unconscious from taking on the karate sensei, which he shouldn't have done, Kasuga. It's this Kasuga logic. Like, how much does this make sense? He's just got to catch up to her in this episode. He doesn't care that she's on a motorcycle. He doesn't care that he's using the power and front of anybody who might be watching him ride this bike. I think Ayukawa kind of likes it when Kasuga displays this illogical need for her. It's irrational. It doesn't make any sense. He goes to these great lengths. It's very much a demonstration of what he's willing to endure for her. And I think she appreciates that or she just, she's got like a thing for abuse. I mean, maybe that's kind of a turn on for her too. And she likes seeing him get all like uh, beaten abused. She could be some kind of sadist. I don't know. But again, it works. He, he, 
He goes falling down the, the, the mountainside or whatever and swimming through the water. And you know what? She digs it. She sees the bruises on his arm. There's the, the moment where he's climbing up. Even before he apologizes to her, he's climbing up out of the water on the rock. And she kind of takes his, his arm. And we get this close-up shot of her hands kind of on his wrist and his forearm, his hand. They're bruised. They're bloodied. And that's the moment. In chapter 153 of the Orange Road manga, it's near the end of the manga, there is some implication that the Kasuga family has descended from beings from another world. Oji-san speculates that uh, they're from beyond the sun, which might possibly mean outside the solar system, and hence their powers, that they, they inherited these by being descended from some uh, aliens who came to Earth for whatever reason. They don't get into it very much, but it is lightly hinted towards the end of chapter 153 in the manga, if you want to double-check that. This would be the one and only reference that occurs in the in the television series that they might possibly have descended from some otherworldly species, and that would be the explanation for their ESP. Otherwise, we're not given any explanation for their ESP, and frankly, I'm glad for that. I don't think that we need to know that they got it from some uh, government experimentation like it's Stranger Things or or uh, that they were somehow bred for this and they they escaped some government program. I don't think we need that thriller aspect added to the show because it would be a distraction from our lessons, our teenage lessons, our growth, our development, and our romantic plots. I'm very glad that we don't have that here. So despite the presence of some very heavy sci-fi overtones in this episode, this episode is still about having your partners back. It's about the emotional weight of lying to somebody that you care about. Ayukua felt gaslighted by Kasuga. She didn't like the fact that they had originally agreed upon what they had witnessed and that it was something that they shared together. And then he was taking that away. But then Kasuga felt crushed by the effect of his lie, by the effect his lie was having on Ayukua. Ayukua wanted to have this memory of that experience to share with him, and, and he was denying her that, at least until the end. Now, there is an appearance of a mysterious, bright, golden glow in the sky, in broad daylight at the very end of this episode. It's witnessed by the twins. It's witnessed by Komatsu and Hata, Shikaru and Yusaku, and finally, Kasuga and Ayukua see this bright, golden glow. The appearance is off-screen only. It's represented visually with just intense luminescence that it puts off. Kurumi, as a witness, is clearly not generating this one. And it leaves us with the question of whether or not the UFO Kasuga witnessed with Ayukawa earlier in the, in the show was really Kurumi's contraption or was it the real thing? That's a question Kasuga even asks himself at the end of this episode. Now, the instance of nearly all of the characters witnessing something so fantastical at the end of an episode is actually the first of several times this is going to occur in the television series. It does a little bit of damage to the idea of a tight episode-to-episode -episode continuity because everybody witnesses this UFO at the end of this episode. It's seemingly incredible that this UFO appears overhead in broad daylight when everyone's awake to see it. And multiple people across town are witnessing it. Never mentioned again. Remember that incredible UFO thing we saw last week? We totally saw an alien spaceship. Nope, we're just never going to talk about it again. And that's going to happen some more with some other kind of crazy stuff. But 
Again, this is a perfect example of why I always tell people, don't think too much about it. You know, just let it happen. Especially some of these endings. They're meant to be a little bit over the top. The show is oftentimes self-referential. Characters often wink at the audience and acknowledge that they're inside of a work of fiction and that you're watching them as a television viewer. So again, don't think too much about that ending. It's just kind of a cool what if at the end and what you should think about. You should think about checking out innercirclepn.com to get some more podcasts for you to listen to. I know I got bonus materials coming at you, so you're going to have more than just these regular episodes to listen to very, very soon. But in the meantime, check out my other shows. Shit happens when you party naked. That's a Patreon exclusive. Patreon.com slash Team Almy. You will not only get access to all of the episodes of Shit Happens When You Party Naked, both past and future, but you will also get merch for every tier. I have developed some pretty cool Abacabo t-shirts that I am looking very much forward to showing everybody. Looking forward to everybody seeing those. You'll also get access to all of the special bonus content for Abacabo Cafe listeners. I'll be putting on my Team Almy Studios Patreon. We're going to do a, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, a, a live viewing. You guys can watch with me as I stream live for patrons only. Sheencore. Summer's beginning. Also, we're going to do episode commentaries. Those are going to be coming up soon, too. I appreciate you guys very much for listening to this episode. I really, really thank you guys. I do not take it for granted that you guys are all listening, and I do do very much appreciate. If you would subscribe, if you would tell a friend, turn somebody on to Orange Road, you'll be doing them a favor. Turn somebody on to this podcast, you'll be doing me a favor. How awesome would that feel? You'd sleep so well at night. We're still at the point in this series where we're hearing, for at least a few more episodes, we're hearing Summer Mirage as our ending theme. And I found online several weeks ago a cover of Summer Mirage, Natsuno Mirage, by none other than Tsuru Hiromi, who you will recognize as the voice of Ayukawa. And I'm going to play that for you now. <laughs> 